and welcome to this special episode of the Holland and Bat podcast brought to you by Healthy Magazine, the UK's best-selling wellness magazine. I'm your host, editorial director, Ellie Hughes. Today, we're joined by skincare expert and leading facialist, Abigail James, to discuss the somewhat tricky topic of clean beauty. Clean beauty has become a buzzword over recent years, but there's no recognized definition of what it means leading some to say it's little more than marketing hype. So who better to help us answer the key questions than Abigail? An advocate of holistic wellness, Abigail combines science and nature with the latest technologies, clean formulations and plant-based skincare to get her incredible results. Abigail, welcome to the podcast. Abigail, welcome to our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. How, how are you? Are you well? I'm I'm good, thank you. Um, yeah, obviously well adjusted to uh, the change in in what's going on, but you know, touch wood, we're all healthy, happy. Um, yeah, so so we're good, thank you. Yeah, brilliant, good, and um, lovely sunny day, which is always nice as well. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so a bit of a tricky topic. I always think clean beauty. It's had its detractors, but also people that are really pro it in the past. There's been a few arguments around it. I would say. And I think possibly the first thing to sort out really is what it actually means, because it means there's, there's no legally recognized kind of definition of clean beauty. People take it to mean different things. And I think sometimes that's why people don't see the point of it because they misinterpret what it is. So when you see the term clean beauty, what do you take by that? And what do you think is a reasonable interpretation of that term that we can use? Yeah. Okay. So I've personally been an advocate of clean beauty for years. And you're absolutely right. At the moment, it is getting big questions against it. And I think a little bit unnecessary, to be honest. Yes. I think it's a really relevant name to a certain group and type of products. For me, a clean beauty, whether it's a brand or a particular product, it's a brand where there's just been a lot more thought that's gone into its production. The brand might purposely be choosing not to use certain skin irritants or certain preservatives or certain ingredients where there's a question mark Mm. over their kind of impact on health. That to me is where the big part of clean beauty comes in. It's not necessarily saying that, you know, everything else is is horrific and evil and awful, but it's where the brand has taken a particular stance on that. And it might even go that one step further into the packaging of a brand as well. So that's where I see clean having its kind of clarification. So in terms of those ingredients then, where you said they've taken special care of a certain ingredients, what would you call out as being the the key ones to bear in mind? So there's loads, obviously. You know, if you look at any back of a pack, the the writing is a huge list of things. I suppose the the common one that most people are going to be looking for is parabens. There's a lot of controversy over parabens. Are they actually bad for us? Are they okay? My view is if a brand has gone to the trouble to formulate without parabens, 
they're kind of having a little bit more focus on maybe what the consumer's health, you know, they know it's a, a bit of a gray area and something that might cause controversy. So they've gone, okay, we're just going to focus on formulating without parabens. Mm-hmm. Parabens are preservatives. We need products to be safe, but there are now other alternatives to using parabens. They were, you know, connected to a few health issues. Again, the science and the research keeps changing on this. But for me, if a brand has formulated without them, it's just a bit of a tick of, okay, they're thinking about the customer here. Sodium laurel sulfate, which is It was a very common foaming agent used in, whether it was shampoos, face washes, body body washes, and it basically dries the skin out and can be a skin irritant. So again, there are now more natural alternatives Mm. to that. You've got things like mineral oils and silicones. Those won't usually cause an irritant, but they're not good for skin health. They kind of coat the skin. So another biggie is synthetic fragrance. To be honest, within a skincare product that we're putting on our face, what I'm seeing in clinic, it's often synthetic fragrance, which is going to be causing the biggest skin irritations. And again, coloring dyes. You know, mm. what, what I, I don't see the point in adding a color to a face cream, the skin, that's not going to benefit the skin at all. It's more, I'm looking at this product and I can see it's a pretty color. So therefore I might want to use it. So those are probably a few of the key things that it's nice if a brand hasn't put those in. So if I'm looking at a label, and as you say, there are often a bazillion ingredients on the label, those often aren't called by that simple name, are they? I wouldn't be looking for paraben, would I? What, what are the kind of key terms to look out for? Yeah, so sometimes with paraben, it might actually say methyl paraben, ethyl methyl butyl. Words that begin with those little tags are usually then referring to a type of paraben. Yeah, sodium laurel sulfate is usually SLS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just trying to think what else you find. Fragrance, it might actually be there as fragrance or perfume perfume and mineral oil it might physically say mineral oil petroleum oil petroleum jelly yeah so i think those are probably yeah and i guess the point is you need to do a little bit of work looking at the label but it's it's worth it because you're going to get a product like you say that's made with a bit more consideration and and care absolutely and i must admit so if you do switch to clean beauty I find if you then go and try a product that isn't in that bracket, if you go and open it up, you can smell the synthetic fragrance. It suddenly smells really quite strong and you can often see the difference in color. So, you know, I know when I've got clients who've made that switch, when if they are tempted back with some of the other type of products, they're like, this, it's like putting perfume on your face. So just wrong, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's going to smell nice. That's no, no benefit to it at all. So in terms of uh, the kind of other big question, I suppose, is does it work? You would obviously say, I'm assuming, don't want to put words in your mouth, but it does work often better than the alternative. So so how how does it work? And what are the good ingredients that we can look out for? What are your kind of hero ingredients in clean beauty that really deliver? So clean beauty spans quite a broad 
bracket of products and formulations. It's not just about the 100% plant-based. Yes, we've got that bracket and yes, we've got the organic, but we've also got actually some quite scientific products that are still formulated in a clean way. It's the brand's ethos. And even if we are talking about a plant active, there's a whole load of science behind some of those plant Actives. So that's actually where maybe a decade ago, what would be classed as your clean beauty might not have been as effective as some of the new clean beauty scientific brands out there. So there's still a really broad spectrum of that. I know you can find them on the high street, but also I found from a professional point of view, there's more availability. And so I wouldn't be working with the clean brands if it wasn't going to get results, basically. So it does come down to the products and its formulation and the brand's ethos and the delivery systems and everything else as to how effective products can be. But yeah, clean can definitely be really, really effective. So what are some of those key ingredients, the kind of natural oils, the the stuff from nature that really works as well as the best a lab can do? So that's a tricky question. Okay. So yes, I'm a huge fan of oils, plant-based oils. There are literally hundreds out there, whether it's rosehip seed, argan, marula, carrot seed, or raspberry seed. The list is just vast and each of them will have a different natural benefit because it's from nature. I don't know, let's say raspberry seed oil. I'm just off the top of my head. Obviously, because it's from nature, that plant has got its natural antioxidant makeup. So even though you're not necessarily going, and I'm adding antioxidants to this, because the oil has got those elements from the plant, you're naturally adding some of those benefits to a product. So yeah, oils, plant-based oils, I think are incredible. I love aloe vera. I know some people get worried about oils if they think they've got greasy skin already or oily skin already. That's a bit of a kind of misunderstanding, isn't it, of the role of oils? I I understand that they actually can work for all different skin types. They can, but it's also about choosing the right type of oil for you. So for example, if you are spot prone with your skin, something like a coconut oil might be too heavy it's too rich, whereas something like a a jojoba oil is much lighter in its texture, might be better suited to all skin types, but also a skin that is slightly spot prone. So Mm. it's not saying all oils are safe. It's about being quite specific about, and also the amount of oil that you're using. And again, coming down to the formulation of that particular product as well. So for an older skin, then what kind of oil would I want for a kind of older, drier (laughs) <laughs> An older dry skin, like my own. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of things like argan oil, rosehip seed oil. I think those are two key, quite easily accessible ones. There's, they are known and there's more research on those two particular oils for the aging benefits. So yeah, those are the ones that I'd probably be saying, hey, let's start and have a play with those. Yeah. You've obviously got the pure oils that you can buy a pure rosehip seed oil, but then you've got brands that are going, okay, we want to make a blend particularly for aging skin. So they're doing the sciencey bit of going, okay, well, let's pick and choose which oils to make a perfect blend out of. So there's so many different choices, even within the oils that you can choose. But if you're starting with oils, it is quite nice to start with what I call a standalone 
base oil, whether it's a rosehip, an argon, jojoba, whatever it might be. So if you um, did want to just, you know, get into clean beauty and you weren't used to it, would that be a good place to start with some of those just kind of natural single oils? How how would yeah. you recommend a complete beginner goes about kind of informing themselves? And, and are you saying having a play, but in a way that's as risk-free as possible, I suppose, to their skin? Yeah. So the chances are, if you're wanting to play in the clean beauty area, it's likely to be safer for your skin than wanting to play in the the synthetic and actually that's a key point because often people call call it chemical just for clarification everything is a chemical even the clean ingredients are chemicals so the kind of difference is more clean and synthetic so that's something just for clarification i like to see if you are going to play you need to start with a a, a routine because if you're just going to add in an oil that's not giving the skin everything it needs. So you do need a cleanser. Ideally, that's not going to strip the skin, but it's going to clean the skin. You probably do need some actives in a serum. You do need a moisturizer. You do need an SPF. So if I'm shopping or for myself or advising clients on new products, you've got to see the routine as a whole. So if you just used an oil cleanser and an oily type serum and a really heavy moisturizer and an oil, it's going to be way too much for you. And on the other side, if you've got an oily skin, if you're going to go deep cleansing cleanser that might strip a bit and then some really punchy active and then an oil-free moisturizer and it's all just a little bit too active and stripping so you've got to see it as a whole and I know that's not necessarily encouraging people to go and you know spend loads of money on a whole new routine but if you're doing a switch it might be that okay so I've run out of my serum let's add in the serum part or I've run out of my SPF let's add in the SPF part and kind of replace or see that as a whole routine does that make sense it does yeah it really does so I'm just thinking people like me who I guess to be honest I find it a bit overwhelming to be honest and I feel like it's you know you either get into it and you really study loads and you really become an expert or else it's a bit like do you know what I just can't do it and you randomly try things what's a good way of working out your own skin type and therefore what kind of actives and oils and and what have you might need to kind of put in as your building blocks of your routine well usually if if you were going to go to a store or whether it's online as well they might have some guidelines that might help you choose for your particular skin concern it is a minefield yes Uh, and there is obviously going to be a bit of trial and error for example if you wear makeup then actually an oil or a cream cleanser whatever your skin type is going to be a good type of cleanser if you are slightly spot prone or you just like that clean feeling then it's probably going to be good to add in a gentle wash with regards to the serums that is where it can get I was going to ask you about serums actually because you mentioned that earlier and in fact serums for me have been a fairly recent addition probably only within the last year that I've put them in to my routine because someone convinced me I absolutely needed to and I was like once I did I was like oh my god how have I got this far in life without yeah but so, so how do they work? What's so good about serums? So serums, they come in so many different forms. Yeah. Some are oily, some are creamy, some are watery. You can get 
different actives in a serum than you can in your moisturizer or your, you, you know, your other products. So to me, your serums are where you've got your doing ingredients. And this is actually where the clean beauty over the past eight years has really ramped up what it can do because there's more availability of clean actives that you can put into your serums, which is amazing. So your serums, whether it's aging, whether it's acne, whether it's sensitivity, those are often the products that are going to pack a punch and, and target your concern. For example, hyaluronic acid. It's something I think most of us have heard of. We have it's not an, actually an acid. So people are often <laughs> it sounds really scary, doesn't it? It sounds like it's gonna strip everything off or yeah. So hyaluronic we've got it naturally in our bodies. It's about holding moisture. It's the hydration levels within our skin. And you can get that in a clean formulation. You know, if we can, if it's naturally in our bodies, then we can get that in clean skincare. Hyaluronic as an ingredient, it has the ability to hold, dependent on its formula, over a thousand times its weight in moisture. If you have a molecule that this size, a thousand times that, is, is huge. Yeah. So yeah. if you're then thinking as we age, our moisture levels are dropping. So actually adding extra hyaluronic is a good thing. But also for the more spot prone skin, a hyaluronic serum, it can add moisture without too much oil. So that's actually where hyaluronic is an ingredient. It's quite universal across the skin types, which is amazing. To be honest, when I did my beauty training 20 years ago, hyaluronic wasn't an ingredient that we were aware of. Things keep progressing. And I think that's really fascinating and amazing about the clean beauty sector. It's evolving and these other amazing actives just keep becoming available to, to that type of product. So what are some of those other actives then? Let's nail down into that a little bit. What else do people want to be looking out for in terms of, like you say, the products that really Really work like and they see more, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So vitamin C, I think a lot of people now are more aware of vitamin C. It comes in different forms and different formulations. Vitamin C is an antioxidant. It can brighten, it can support the pigmentation process. I've never seen it get rid of pigmentation, but it's a key ingredient for trying to support hold that process. Because it's a, a really strong antioxidant, it's that free radical scavenger. So protecting from sun damage, pollution, stress, all of that kind of business. So a vitamin C is a key one if you want glow, radiance, it's protecting, it's a goodie. It's, it's a great ingredient. Who doesn't want that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, that, yeah. exactly. And then obviously another one that most people have heard of is, is retinol or retinoids. It's yeah. a, again, it's a huge, you can get plant-based retinoids, which yeah, so might again, be... again, that sounds very scary, doesn't it? But actually, like you're saying, you can get plant-based ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's other new forms as well, which I can never pronounce, bacuchiol. Oh, yeah. Again, that's another new one to the... It's not retinol. It's absolutely not. It's a plant-based that, you know, researchers showed it can have a similar effect, but it's really not retinol. But yeah, retinoids as a whole group, vitamin A, basically, it can be really good for speeding cell turnover. That's fundamentally it's it's biggie that it does. Originally, it was used to treat acne conditions, and then 
on from that, they realized that it thickened the dermis, it sped cell turnover, it could reduce fine lines, wrinkles. But you need to know what you're doing with retinol. And this is kind of where people might have started using it. And they said, I'm, I've got a reaction to it. I'm sensitive to it. It's mm. because they've gone too much too quickly. So you've got to allow the skin to get used to retinol. So as a rule, I say once every three nights with a retinol type serum, just allow the skin to, to get used to it. I know there's so many different strengths of retinol and forms of retinol. So that, that is, that's quite a broad statement. But if you're unsure, you've bought a retinol product, just for safety's sake, start every three nights. And like you said, the strengths of the retinol products are very, they, they vary a lot as well. So start with a gentle one with less, a lower percentage or? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Retinol palmitate is the gentlest form of retinol. So that's really, really gentle. And then you've got other strengths and then you're going to get up to almost like the prescription strength that you won't find on the high street. So like I said, it's it's a huge spectrum. And I always wonder about this. Like, would you expect to get a bit of tingling? Do you want that kind of feeling or does that some people like that? It tells them things are working. Other people get a bit scared of it. What's okay, your view? So interestingly, with retinol, there isn't a sensation. Okay. okay. That's where people get into a false sense of security that oh, my skin's fine with this. And they'll apply it four nights in a row. And then they've given themselves a bit of a skin peel. It's not you've had a reaction. It's just the retinol building up and you've not felt it. The products that will give a sensation are your um, acid and peeling ingredients. Again, they're really widely used in the skincare at home with your scientific and with your clean brands. I love a good acid. <laughs> you know, they can be really uh, skin changing. You've got things like mandelic acid, which is derived from bitter almonds. You've got glycolic, which is from sugarcane. Kojic, which is from a form of mushroom, lactic, which is usually from a dairy source. So bizarrely, all of those acids, those technical science ingredients, they're usually from a natural source. Hmm. Again, with them, it really depends on the percentage, the pH of them, um, you know, what other products you might be using in your routine as well. So Yes, the acid side of things is a minefield. It is. Uh, and again, if you're new to that type of thing, again, go gentler. Go start with three days, see how the skin responds. Obviously, read the pack. I think that's key with those types of products. What, what is the brand? It, you know, Do you leave something on for three minutes mm. or can you sleep in it? You need to just know that you're doing the right thing. And can you do like with... Um hair dye where you do a little test on a little bit of your hair to make sure you're not having an allergic reaction can you do something like that with a patch test patch um, test exactly so thank you that's the word that i couldn't remember so yeah absolutely from to be honest i would usually do it somewhere on your neck the next the skin on the neck is more sensitive and obviously if you are going to have a reaction if it's kind of here you can cover it up basically and i'd usually do it in the evening just so that again if it is going to have a bit of a response it's got that time, so you're not walking around in the day itching. Yeah, but with the the acid, peely kind of ingredients, there will be some sensation on the skin. It's not a reaction, it's the product's response. Obviously, if you put something on and you're coming up red and it's feeling quite feisty, hmm. 
remove it, cool compress, cool compress, and you know the skin usually calms down. You said about testing stuff on your on your neck on a patch, which was a great great suggestion. With products as well, are we just putting them on our face, or are we bringing them all the way down to our necks and our cleavages? What, what do we do in terms of applying the products? Yes to all the way down absolutely all the way down the only one i wouldn't really do that with is your retinoids the vitamin a's again because this skin is so much finer it's more delicate so you're more likely to come up red pinky a little bit over the top unless it's a product that's specifically designed with those ingredients for the neck and decollete and i'd be a little bit cautious of the acidy kind of ingredients again on neck particularly okay but generally all the way down yeah. we yeah. we forget you know we forget this bit until we go <laughs> oh i should have taken more notice of this until suddenly we're going on a night out and it's like oh <laughs> i forgot about down here yes, exactly exactly yeah. so leading on to the next question then spf we often i think generally anyway we're probably quite bad with spf as a as a nation we forget about it Using some of these products you're talking about might leave our skin more exposed the next day. I'm thinking there might be even more need for SPF. Not, you know, and there is anyway a need for SPF. How can we do that in terms of clean beauty? Are there good products around? Yeah. So yeah, really relevant point actually that yes, yeah, some of these products are potentially making the skin more susceptible to premature damage. But obviously we've got the sun doing its thing, and the sun is the biggest ager. Yeah. With the sun, we've got the issue of aging and obviously skin cancer. So there's the two things. And I don't think we necessarily correlate both of them together. There are some great natural SPFs. They're often called physical sunscreens or mineral sunscreens. Zinc oxide and titanium dioxide. Those are the two key ones that are used in formulations. We could speak literally for three hours yeah. just on SPF. It's an absolute <laughs> minefield. Again, there is constantly new research, what's good, what's bad, what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. Yeah. But no, my preference is the mineral, the physical SPFs. Yes, you do need to reapply them. Some of them can be a little bit thicker in texture. I was going to ask, is that when I'm going to end up with a big kind of white stripe across my nose? Like yeah, Australian so that's where it comes down to the individual formulation. You might find, and this is actually where you might need to trial and error. So you might have a mineral SPF that gives quite a matte finish, or you might have a mineral SPF that's quite dewy and nourishing. And if you are prone to breakouts, you might need to have a little bit of a play around with actually what's best for your skin, basically. I'd say as a, as a rule, a 30 is a good level. I know there are 50s out there and, you know, some of them are great. I do know that sometimes the level of chemical that they have to add to get from a 30 to a 50 is double rather than just that small jump. It's a huge jump up. So as a rule, I'd be saying definitely a 30. I don't know about you, but I remember as a child, we, we used to wear factor two. <laughs> we thought 15 was like as far as it oh went. Oh my goodness, we're not going to turn with that on. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? Really crazy. Uh, and obviously the sun is harsher now than it was 30 plus years ago. The SPF is important. Um, my preference is definitely mineral. And a 30 is a good level for most people to go in at and stay there. It's just the kind of the right balance between kind of applying it and what will work longer and what will sit on your skin more easily. Yeah, basically. I mean, the ideal is obviously that we reapply at midday. I know on a normal work day, 
whatever that is now. Yeah, <laughs> um, whatever that is. <laughs> yes, exactly. We should be reapplying midday. We don't. So as long as you put it on first thing in the morning, you might put your makeup on top. Hey, you might have opportunity if you're going out on a lunch break to reapply some some protection or put a hat on or just cover up slightly. Uh, but obviously, if you're using it for being in the sun, purposely in the sun, whether it's on holiday, then absolutely, you still need to be reapplying your, your mineral SPFs. Yeah. And more than we think, isn't it? I think we're all a bit stingy with with our sun creams. Yeah. yeah. So the thing with the physical, the, the, the mineral ones, is because it's a physical, you need to make sure that you've covered your skin thoroughly. So the others, the, the chemical ones, are absorbing into the skin. So they might give a broader coverage. You can be a bit more slapdash. But the minerals are sat on top, which for me is, is a healthier option. But you need to make sure that it, it's, you've covered it thoroughly, that you haven't left gaps. Good tip. Thank you very much. So that leads us on quite nicely to makeup then. So I kind of feeling I get is people think, okay, I might try some clean beauty. I might try an oil. That sounds like a nice idea. But moving on to makeup, it's still a bit behind people's perception anyway of clean makeup as opposed to maybe clean skincare. Is that right? How, how is makeup doing in terms of ticking the clean beauty boxes? Okay, so you're absolutely right that uh, the makeup market is is vast and it's very glamorous and glossy and sexy. And that's kind of where the mar- makeup market generally is. I think natural makeup almost got that Oh, it's not very glamorous. It's just, oh, she needs to just, she wants to do something, but it's not going to give you that sexy va-va-voom. I think that's almost where the the perception came. It's like, oh, no. Then some of the natural makeups are amazing. So if I'm doing skin peels on someone, I've recommended mineral makeup for years because I know there isn't anything in it that's going to react with some of the things that we've been doing. Okay. Yeah. If I've got an acne-prone client or they come for a consultation and that's their main concern then one of the first things yeah we need to change their skincare but we need to change their makeup it's all very well doing all this amazing stuff to your skin but then you go and put a whole load of mineral oil and chemicals and fragrance and colors and you're undoing some of the goodness or all the goodness that you've done with the skincare so And it probably is that a number of years ago that more natural makeup probably wasn't as good with its textures or how it would sit on the skin or the strength of the colours. But just like skincare, that's moved on tenfold. There's some amazing brands out there that are better for our skin, better for our health and will make you look sexy glowing give you that benefit so you're absolutely right i don't think yet the the mass general public have really cottoned on to that i also think maybe when people are purchasing makeup they're not thinking of certain stores to go to for their makeup maybe uh, and they're missing a trick with some incredible brands and things. I think that's another another point of it as well. And what you're saying, it hadn't really ever occurred to me, even though it seems blimmin' obvious now you say it, that why would you spend all this time getting your skin to a nice condition and then whack a load of makeup on top that's undermining it, all the good work you've been doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. We still haven't yeah. got that 
connection. So that's interesting. So we can definitely get the right colours, the kind of right pigments, the, the zingy shades that we might want. It's not There's, all the kind of old worthy stuff that you might have thought about in the yeah, old days. Not because anyone being worthy, but you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, well, it all—it was all about the terracottas and the the browns and the the beiges. But now you you know, I'm just thinking of eyeshadows and bits and pieces, and there's some incredible things out there, and for all skin tones as well. I know if I can switch a, a client onto more natural makeup, that can often be a little bit of a, a switching point to them. You know, we've done everything else. We've addressed the the lifestyle, the diet, the skincare. Often, it's the makeup that can be that finishing touch to continually looking healthy, glowy, dewy, you know, and happy with the skin, rather than trying to cover up and hide. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that is the trend now, more isn't it, to kind of not have that completely kind of fake, total covered up look, but to allow the skin underneath the show even if it's a little bit imperfect but to let that lovely glow come through that you've worked potentially you know so hard on it's a bit more about the natural and the glowy rather than the completely matte perfect so it is but also that might be our age group where we're feeling that to be honest Um, (laughs) (laughs) my uh, my daughter and her friends might be slightly different okay so good point Yeah. yeah but I think they probably won't be looking at the natural brands and they probably think they're not as effective. So yeah, you can get the coverage and yeah, you can do a really powerful look with some of the cleaner makeup brands. Absolutely. So one, one final question then. People might be listening to this and thinking, yeah, that's all very well. Okay. So that sounds like a good idea. I now know that these products can work. I can get the kind of results that I might be wanting from Clean Beauty and maybe think about SPF and about makeup. But it's also expensive. It's really just an indulgence for people with lots of money. I've only got, you know, a small amount of money to treat myself to a lipstick here or a serum there. Is that right? Is clean beauty generally more expensive than the synthetic beauty? No. <laughs> you know, that's quite a simple in a answer. nutshell. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I mean, you might find that some of the brands are hey, they might be more expensive, but there's a lot that aren't. If you think of some of the big beauty brands that are out there, some of the moisturizers are quite feisty with the pricing, Hmm. you know. So I think you'd be surprised at what you can get within the clean brackets for potentially what you might be spending not in that bracket. So I think there's a price bracket within the clean beauty for all purses and budgets there is. So much like synthetic beauty really then, I suppose, you can go from you know, one ninety nine to a hundred pounds almost for a, a Absolutely. moisturizer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's it's brand dependent, it's product dependent. Some of the the natural ingredients they might actually take if it is an expensive product, it might actually take more sourcing it might be you know so instead of putting cheap ingredients in actually sometimes if a product is a higher price there's been a lot of stuff within that formulation that means it has that higher price Hmm. so i'm not saying higher prices is better more effective but often the raw materials are, are expensive but yeah there's there's great brands from a few pounds up to the hundreds within the clean sector so get out there get playing get experimenting don't Absolutely. be scared don't yes. feel like it's going to not work it's it's all good it's all all there to be kind of enjoyed really it's like your, your sort of final message yeah I, you know skincare makeup it is there to be enjoyed yes fundamentally both of them are making us look better 
basically. However, it makes us feel better. You know, mental wellness, self-care, self-love, it's a huge part of skincare and makeup. That's a big part of it from where I come from. Whether it's that few moments to yourself or a bit more indulgent, I think now more than ever, it's an easy way that we can look after ourselves and make ourselves feel better as well as look better. Yeah. And, you know, if it benefits the planet a little bit as well, that's a kind of nice thing to have as well. But it's that's going into the kind of feeling better. But you're right, the kind of holistic side of beauty and the kind of connection between beauty and wellness. I mean, again, I know we've done a whistle stop tour today and there's so many topics we could have gone into for the whole podcast, really. And that's definitely one of them. But you're so right to pick that out because I think the feel good benefits of clean beauty are even more so than of traditional beauty for, for those reasons. Yeah, I agree. And like you say, you know, the the planet, the environment is a key thing. So it's almost like self-care with conscience, if yeah. <laughs> if, if that's a, a, a thing. I, but I love it. Yeah. yeah. Good. It is now yeah. a thing. Self-care with, self-care with conscience. That's what we'll be doing from now on. <laughs> Perfect. Abigail, thank you so much. Thank you for your time today. That was really great. And as I say, it was a whistle-stop tour. And, and thank you for kind of doing a beginner's guide to clean beauty, which I hope people will find, find useful. I certainly did. And hopefully we'll catch up with you again and, you know, go into more detail on some of those topics because there's, there's so much there. It's such a huge, huge world beauty. It is. And we've really just skimmed the surface. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, it's been a pleasure. You know, I love talking about skincare beauty, clean beauty. It's uh, So it's lovely to share this. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was our special clean beauty episode of the Holland and Barrett podcast brought to you by Healthy Magazine. If you liked what you heard, maybe you can pick up the latest edition of Healthy Magazine in your local Holland and Barrett store nationwide, online at hollandandbarrett.com and via the Holland and Barrett app. Or you can head on over to healthy-magazine.co.uk for more great content around the huge topic of clean beauty. Find out more about the products and topics discussed on the Holland and Barrett website. And if you want more from Abigail, check out her book, Love Your Skin, The Ultimate Guide to a Glowing Complexion. And finally, please feel free to subscribe to our regular healthy podcasts on your podcast app and do give us a rating. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.